choices, new players, new models of care. You know consumer first healthcare is everywhere. For us to build the future, to see what's new, we gotta look at the world from a different point of view. Consumer innovation ain't going away. I say it's here to stay. Today it leads the way. We gotta drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo or like status no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rep. Yo, come on, let's go. Welcome back to the leading podcast about consumer innovation. I'm Jared Johnson, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about keeping consumer transformation from remaining an elusive concept. How will more consumer-centered conversations lead to more consumer-centered innovation? And how do we get that ball rolling faster? I'll talk about that. Then we welcome Drew Schiller, CEO of Validic, to recap some points from his recent panel discussion at CES about navigating the data revolution. Personal health data is playing a revitalized role as new modalities powered by breakthrough technologies have ushered in a new era for biomonitoring and wearables. Combine that with an ecosystem that connects that data and makes it actionable for clinicians, and you have new possibilities for the consumer-clinician team to drive better health and wellness. There's a lot to talk about today, so it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Why is value-based care still thought of as an elusive concept? And can we keep the same thing from happening to consumer transformation? I mean, that is what the CEO of the country's largest health system reportedly called value-based care at a recent event hosted by the Nashville Healthcare Council. Sam Hazen is the CEO of HCA Healthcare. And according to Beckers, he was not disparaging value-based care, but said he's curious on the thought process that goes on in it. He went on to say that it's been a difficulty for a lot of organizations to accomplish their objectives and ultimately scale. Interesting that it's still being called an elusive concept after being in the lexicon for almost 20 years and in practice for decades. But this flavor isn't about the history of value-based care, but rather how to send consumer transformation on a different track, one that will fuel a different type of conversation years or even decades from now. I hope and believe that by that time, we will see a change in the conversation. An acknowledgement that consumer-centered innovation and all of the infrastructure to support it is one of the greatest investments that healthcare organizations can make. And there's unquestionable value to them and to the consumers that they serve. Yes, there's the reality of the current state that says we've been talking about consumerism for close to a decade but many sides of the industry still have a general disdain for the word and kind of wish it would just go away. This amid the continual commentary from us and many others sharing how very real these changes are and organizations that lean in will set themselves up to thrive in the years and decades ahead. What's the saying? You can hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. Consumers do have more choices for their care. That was consumerism 1.0. Consumerism 2.0 is that they also have expectations for how they intend to interact with the healthcare system. And if you know me by now, I think that's a net positive for society. Digital retail and direct-to-consumer options fill gaps in care and provide an experience that's better enough to encourage many who have avoided care to start getting it. So how do we keep consumer transformation from remaining an elusive concept? It starts with an openness to talk about it and learn from each other, to share small wins that might feel insignificant, forming that task force, doing that research, hosting that summit or evaluating that platform. Let's keep the momentum going because every step in the right direction counts. Intentionally holding more consumer-centered conversations will lead to more desire to be educated about consumer-centered innovation. And that's when we'll really start to see this ball rolling and set consumer transformation on a course that drives true value and competitive advantage. It's there and more leaders are starting to see it. Let's create more momentum around consumer transformation as we strive together to see the value that healthcare can bring when it's designed and built around the needs of those seeking care as well as those providing that care. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. 
All right, listeners, let's get into the flow. It's that time again. Would you please give it up for our guest this week? I'm here with Drew Schiller. Drew is the CEO of Validic. Drew, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Awesome. Super glad to be here. Thank you. You know, uh, I'd love to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. We're going to dive into some really cool topics. I think this intersection of how technology is enabling a new type of consumer healthcare experience. I think there's a lot of different threads to pull on there and a lot of different things that lead up to that. So I'm excited to dive in, but let's help our listeners get to know you a little bit better first. Can you give us the two-minute version of who you are and kind of what you're doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. So my background, I got into healthcare in a, a very different way than most people. My background is actually in graphic design and computer science. And I ran a, a web development firm for a branding organization for eight years and then I started Validic with my co-founder. He was, he and I were both interested in starting companies. We were both best friends from college, and we wanted to get into healthcare because we're both from the Midwest and we have family in rural communities. And we just saw how unhealthy they were, and we thought we could make a, an impact through what is now considered digital health. At the time, it was just more, hey, there's these devices that people are starting to use. There must be something we can do with them. So that's why we launched Politic back in 2010, actually, is when we started working on it. Launched the market in 2013. And since then, it's grown really well. In addition to being the CEO and co-founder of Politic, I'm also on the Consumer Technology Association Health Division Board and the Executive Board for that organization. That's the group that puts on CES every year in Las Vegas, as well as on the Highmark Health Technology Advisory Group. So really happy to be here. Fantastic. Is there some career advice that has helped shape your path to this point? Either maybe it was founding Validic, maybe it wasn't, but somewhere along the way, some career advice that's kind of stuck with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, Validic isn't my first company. It's certainly been my most successful, but there was a piece of advice I received uh, pretty early on, actually not from somebody I knew personally, but just from an online personality. And the advice was basically, if you want to do the many things most people will never do, you must first do the few things that most people will never do. So in other words, like if you want to have all of these amazing life experiences, you have to put in the work first to actually get yourself to a point where you can have those. That's something that stuck with me. Whenever the grind feels hard, I'm like, this is what it's, it's supposed to be hard. You're supposed to do it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But you're trying to do something nobody else has done before. Why would that be easy? That's true. That's that's part of the journey for sure. Which leads us to Validic itself. I wonder if you could give us a, a layperson's description. Again, I think a lot of our, our listeners are familiar, but for those who aren't, and, and for those who are, it's helpful just to kind of hear where you're at these days. Uh, can you give us a, like a layperson's description? What is Validic? And, and we'll focus on how Validic you know, attempts to make healthcare easier for everyday people. Well, let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So at Validic, a key piece and what we launched with to the market a little over a decade ago is the ability to capture and bring in data from any in-home health device that people are using as part of their daily lives. So this could be wearable devices like your Fitbit or Apple Watch or Aura Ring, all the way through to your clinical meters for, you know, blood pressure, glucose, weights, pulse oximeters, thermometers. We capture data from over 600 disparate sources now, and we bring the data into the clinical workflow for healthcare organizations to power everything from health and wellness incentives. So think about uh, healthy activity programs, getting people to pay more attention to their health or incentivize them to do healthier things, all the way through to chronic disease management and uh, hospital at home type of scenarios where you're helping people actually monitor their for a specific purpose, for a specific clinical purpose and need. And one of the things that, that Politic has done 
pretty uniquely, in addition to having the world's largest health IoT platform, is we've also brought that data into the EHR workflow as a first-class citizen. So from a clinician perspective, what they're seeing is in the same way they can order a lab in the patient chart and they receive the result, the lab results in the in-basket and they can type in clinical notes about those labs as they're talking to the patient. We enable that same workflow for personal health data. So it's just a part of what they're already doing. And then it makes the data just available and they can have a much better conversation. It gives more opportunities for education and coaching for their patients. Is it kind of like, it seems like somebody should be doing this, so you know, why not us kind of a thing? When data did start to emerge, you know, when, when we did start to see wearables and like devices come on the market, that it's like, yeah, somebody better be doing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, we actually, when we launched Politics, so we started in 2010, we launched the market in 2013. In between then, we were actually building a different solution. <laughs> we were actually building a solution that was more of an employee engagement platform for large self-insured employers. And that's how we started. And as part of that, you know, I was telling my co-founder, you know, we can't build a better fitness tracker than Fitbit or a better running app than RunKeeper and, you know, a better nutrition app than MyFitnessPal. Like, I don't know how we're going to build all these programming options when the consumer space has already nailed the experience. And we had the idea for ourselves, what if we just integrate all of those best in breed clinical or all those best in breed consumer solutions into our platform. And then we can build on all the incentive layers and things like that. And it turns out that the incentive layer side was actually really competitive space, but bringing all the data together was something nobody else had done. So we turned that into an API and licensed that to other healthcare organizations. And that ended up being the genesis of Validic and what, what allowed us to really take off. Well, I love hearing those types of pivots. I really do because they, they really show that, that you're focused on, on not only differentiating, but providing a real solution that, that's going to be implemented out there in the world and in healthcare. That's not always the case. It really isn't a lot of, there are a lot of nails looking for a hammer, right? It's, uh, it's really true. I, I always tell when I'm talking to healthcare entrepreneurs in the early stage, I always tell people, listen, when you're out there and you're pitching your concept, if somebody says, I don't get it or I'm not seeing it, what I always hear from the entrepreneurs is, yeah, they, they don't get it. They don't understand what I'm trying to do. And I'm like, listen, they're the customer. So like somebody here doesn't get it, but it's not them, right? Like you, got, you have to be really, you have to be asking them questions to help understand what they really need and then work backwards from there on what you can offer to help fill that you fill that needs app offer a real solution to their problem. And it's hard to do. I mean, we literally had to throw out a whole platform that we had built <laughs> in order to launch Politic, but we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't done that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's fascinating to tell the truth. I mean, it, it's part of the story of where you are today. And that kind of intersects with, with one of our themes here on the podcast. So we like to spot innovations that help consumers live healthier lives. For a long time, we have focused on what those solutions look like from a provider organization, from a health system, even from a health plan, from, from provider organizations, though. Now, there's the direct-to-consumer side of this all that is still fascinating. In a lot, in a lot of ways, it's, it's not new, but it has evolved. And helping an individual consumer understand how a device or a platform or a program can benefit them is a real opportunity in this field. I'm curious what just kind of what the general state of the state is from your perspective of, of a digital health and wellness. We're talking about mostly the, you know this direct to consumer side of things. What are some key trends that that are uh, like in the middle of your radar screen right now? Yeah, totally. So first, let me just 
say is that the benefit that we have from coming to this question is that we work with direct-to-consumer companies like Noom and AARP and large health plans, the top five U.S. health plans and leading healthcare organizations like Kaiser Permanente and Mayo Clinic. So we see, you know, a big 360 view of this. And I'll say that from a consumer perspective, the key thing that they are looking for is simplicity. I want to track more things, but I want it to be so simple and just seamless and, and in in my daily life. And so what the reason why I say that is because, you know, 10 years ago, getting into digital health solutions, whether it was, you know, wearables or health apps was a little bit tricky, right? You always had to do, it was a little bit for the quantified self geek, right? But today, like that small population still exists. But as we expand further and get more people involved in digital health at, from a consumer perspective, we're seeing that the devices and the solutions that really make things completely seamless for the consumer are the ones that are starting to really gain traction. So if you think about CGMs for diabetic patients and how that's a real trend, we're actually starting to see CGMs that are going to come out that are going to be much more lower cost and actually targeted more for the general population, more fitness oriented. So people who don't need it clinically for actual diabetes management, but people who are interested in it from a health and longevity perspective, because it's super simple. It's much easier than a finger stick. It's you put the patch on and it just works, right? Similar with devices like the Aura Ring, which has captured a lot of people's imagination. It's super simple. You can wear it all the time. You don't have to think about it. Like I've seen a lot of people, men especially, wearing it as their wedding band, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. Oh yeah. And it's just, look, I'm, I'm wearing a ring anyway. Like I might as well wear, wear this one that does all these extra things. And now they're getting insights into you know their VO2 max and their sleep and all kinds of things. And they don't have to think about it. They can wear the nice watch and they can also track all these metrics. So I think that's really the trend that, that I'm seeing most in digital health right now. I love the, that thought of moving beyond the, the quantified self, the, the, those who, yeah, who are going to do this no matter what, have been doing it for a long time, for years and years. And really talking about, to me, that that's an understanding of the value of recognizing that, that there is a simpler way to do things compared to maybe the first generation of a lot of devices that did come out um, earlier this millennium. So I, I want to get to a panel that, that you were involved in at CES this year. You, My understanding is you moderated a panel discussion. It was titled Navigating the Data Revolution in Healthcare. Could you recap some of that for us? I, I think there's some really interesting points that, that came across during that. And maybe tell us what stood out to you about that discussion? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a lead into that discussion, it was, a, it was a fantastic panel. And the lead into that discussion, I was, I shared a story of a conversation I had at CES with an organization that, that was, it was actually a DARPA funded group. And they had built all this technology for the military to help securely transmit low bandwidth data across very, very vast distances in order for, if you think about, you know, a military installation in the desert and you have to communicate securely, you can't use radio anymore. That's going to get hacked, right? So you have to use a very, very secure, low bandwidth, low power way of communicating across vast distances. So I was talking to them about how that could apply in uh, healthcare, specifically around rural applications in the U.S. And they showed me this wearable that they developed with all these sensors that tied into their system. And then they, they said, oh, yeah, we also have this wearable device available for livestock. And it actually goes on the back 
of, you know, a cow or a pig or a sheep. And I started asking about that because I had never really heard of that application for a wearable device. And they said, yeah, it's actually growing a lot faster than our human wearable device. And through that conversation, I realized that incentives to monitor, proactively monitor the health of livestock are actually better in the United States than the incentives to proactively monitor the health of human beings, which is like shocking and really depressing. (laughs) But I think it goes to show you two things. One is how critical our food supply is, but two is how not critical the health of our population is, you know, helping our population be truly healthy is to our government and our our healthcare insurers, right? And and so that was kind of the backstory that I set up. And as we discussed in with um with the panel, which was just a phenomenal group, we talked really about how personal health data does continue to revolutionize healthcare. And there's a massive opportunity with the advancements of you know AI-based statistical models and large language models, machine learning. So what we really started to explore is how can these data that people are capturing in their daily lives be used to advance healthcare and what change could be expected. And I think one of the big things that we started to tease out through the conversation is that these data don't have to revolutionize healthcare like overnight. Digital health isn't going to just magically fix quote unquote healthcare, but the key is that more people need more care and we don't have more clinicians. We have the same number, if not fewer clinicians in the future than we have today or than we had 10 years ago. In fact, we have the same number of clinicians today as we had 10 years ago, but a lot more people need more care. And so the opportunity of this personal health data is that we can use it to help prioritize who really needs the care now and who is doing okay. And the who's really doing okay, the data can be used to help them better self-manage their condition the data can be used to drive better conversations. But more importantly, it's with limited healthcare resources to know, I actually don't need to talk to this person right now. And I really do need to talk to this other person. Um, one of the best examples was someone from the um, Amibot, who's the at the American College of Cardiology. She said, hey, listen, you know, you imagine taking the data from personal health information and having that help prioritize for a physician who's reviewing charts, who they review the chart of first. So if you have 50 charts to review and it's going to take you a few hours to do it, maybe instead of just starting at the top and working your way down, it might be that the 49th person that you review is the person who really needs to be seen. And those few hours it took you to get through those charts were really critical. What if there's a way to use AI to actually just surface up, hey, let's review this chart first. Don't go in rank order of how they came in go in rank order of what is AI actually think is the most important one for you to review. It's not telling the doctor how to review it. It's just saying, based on everything we're seeing, this might be the most important case for you to review first. So the doctor's fresh, the patient gets better, hopefully more timely treatment because the data is there to help support that. And I think that's like a really good use case and example of how we can start to make the healthcare system much more effective and efficient with the data. Oh, well, and it's probably not something that comes to mind for a lot of folks anyway. They either just don't realize how much that could help or they don't know what it would take for that to happen. You know, what what technologies would need to enable that to be possible. And I do think there's a revolutionary aspect of those types of, of incremental innovations being able to happen, for sure, especially when it comes to something like personal health information, to your point. I would imagine, I'm not close enough to it, you know, it's, it's just what I what I would expect, 
that still a good number of clinicians, especially, you know, you're talking a primary care doctor, could find it difficult to, especially if there's not an easy way for them to review all that personal health data. And they're, I mean, back in the day, right? I don't even know what format, like unstructured data they would even be receiving way back in the day. But I imagine part of that conversation from someone like Validic, you know, it has to be helping them understand the value for them. Can you talk us through that conversation? Like, what is the value proposition for a clinician to be able to say, yes, I have a good way to incorporate your personal health data into my review of of your care condition right now. And here's what's worth it for me to spend the time to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and first, let me just say that there are several non-starters for clinicians that you like it's it's you know, cardinal sins that you cannot you cannot make if you want to have any type of data in front of clinicians so one of them is you cannot ask the clinician to do something different than they're already doing so you can't expect them to jump into a different workflow to sign into a different site to remember some sort of login or crazy step it can't be it needs to be so quick and apparent and in their face because, you know, they're unfortunately given extremely limited time to engage with patients. The next cardinal sin is that you have to make this something that is really, really valuable for them so that when they see the information, it's actually something they can do something with, right? It can't just be, to your point, a data dump. And then they have to kind of like look at this like <laughs> spaghetti thrown on on a screen and try to figure out what is meaningful. Like they, there has to be some way for them to immediately to just look at the data and, and or the information presented and immediately tell what's actionable there. But I think at the heart of this is that when I talk with clinicians, they want to be on the same team as their patients. Like that's why they got into clinical practice. And I think that's sometimes forgotten in this whole thing. <laughs> like clinicians really, truly want their patients to be healthier. But unfortunately, their day-to-day workflow is just not set up for them to meaningfully engage with, with their patients in the visit or over time. So like one of a clinician who I actually spoke with recently who just left her standard practice to go to a telehealth vendor where she could be involved in more direct primary care around longevity coaching she did that because she said, look, I was in a situation where, you know, I was seeing people and I was telling them how to be healthy and I'd see them every six months. And all I saw was their numbers get worse and worse and worse. And I would try to coach them, but I had limited information. I had limited access to them and I didn't have any time to follow up with them. And so it's really challenging for clinicians. So if we think about how this data actually helps to change that situation, we as people want to live our lives without health issues or complications. When we see our health care professionals, we're only telling them what we remember or like what's on our mind right now. But the data fills in the gaps. And now the conversation is about the data. It's not about the physician trying to fact find <laughs> in the limited time they have. And it's not about the patient trying to recall blurry memories from past weeks and try to like, how am I sleeping? I don't know. Like, so okay, most nights, you know, when it's like this person hasn't gotten more than five and a half hours of sleep in three months, right? (laughs) Like, you know, like the data can show that directly, but you know, the person's not going to adequately explain that. And so there's a lot of opportunities for the data to fill in the gaps, which creates a better opportunity for the nurse, for the physician, for the PA, et cetera, to have 
an educational conversation with the patient. And it's about the data. I remember my dad's mom, uh, my other grandma from what I mentioned earlier, um, before she passed away a complication of COPD, I talked to her one time. She was in her 70s and she had just seen a doctor who who was new. He was a, a new young doctor. She's like, he's he's probably younger than you, she says. And you know, she's like, and what does he know? He tells me I need to, I need to walk more. I need to eat healthier. You know, like, what does he know? He doesn't know about me. You know, <laughs> I'm like, he actually is probably telling you to do the right things. But the problem is he had no way to relate to her, right? He had no way of knowing anything about her outside of what was in that 10 minute appointment. If it was, if the conversation was about the data and he was able to say, Hey, Betty, listen, here's what I'm seeing. Is there a way that we could maybe figure out a way to get a thousand more steps a day? Or is there a way that we could see to get a couple hours more restful sleep for you? Or is there a way that we could, you know, whatever the case may be, but like make it, make the conversation about the data rather than about the person. And I think that goes a lot farther for clinicians and for people, because then it's it's about something objective, not about something personal. That's so important for us to factor in. What about the consumer side of that, though? How does all this help the consumer? Kind of maybe it's a bigger, you know, bigger picture, right? Of how does that lead that path for them to to actually take some of those steps in that right direction? So I'll share a story about a gentleman named Steve, who uh, real person. He lives in in uh, the Bay Area. He was uh, type, or he is a type two diabetic. He had uncontrolled diabetes for over a decade. And he was really struggling with his health. He was exhausted all the time. In fact, he had to quit his full-time job because he was always, because he was just getting so sick and he just didn't have the energy to make it through a day. And so Steve was going to his endocrinologist. He was going every quarter and he would, you know, his doctor would take his A1C and he, his, he would say, Hey, look, Steve, your A1C is still too high. You need to exercise more. You need to eat healthier. And Steve's like, doc, I'm trying to do those things. They are not working. I'm getting sicker. And Steve was, you know, Steve was actually being in Silicon Valley, like he's a data geek, right? He was actually taking his glucose every day. And he's like, you know, he would have printouts of his glucose. He's like, Doc, like, look at my data, help me understand what to do. And the doctor's like, I don't know what to do with this, but I know it's not working because, <laughs> because your A1C is still too high. So like, I don't know, let's try to make some changes. Let me adjust your meds and, and we'll see what happens. And it never got better. So finally, Steve was frustrated. He left his, that clinician, he joined a different clinic. Um, that was able to get the data that he had from his glucose meter into the clinical workflow that was using Validic for this. At Steve's second appointment, so his first appointment was just getting it set up. And Steve was like, this is great. At least my data is going somewhere, right? <laughs> but the second appointment, he showed up, the nurse had the data, and the nurse said, hey, Steve, I can see you're tracking your glucose regularly, which is awesome. But what's going on in the evenings because your glucose levels are higher than they are at other points in the day like, tell me about what's happening in your life. And he's like, oh, I'm not doing anything. Like, you know, we eat a healthy dinner. Well, what about after dinner? Oh, you know, we're my wife and kids, like we, you know, sit on the couch and watch, no, watch a movie on Netflix or eating anything. Oh, no, not really. I mean, I'm having a, a snack. It's healthy. It's unbuttered, unsalted, just plain popcorn. And she's like, that's, I don't know if that's good for you. He's like, no, no, there's no calories. It's like healthy. It's a healthy snack. And she's like, I don't think that your body sees it that way. Like, try cutting that out and let's see what happens. So Steve cut that out. And within 30 days, his A1C dropped by half a point. It was the first time he'd ever made a behavior change that was able to show meaningful health improvement. And from that, Steve was bought in. He started following his data much more closely. He learned how to read the data. He learned how to judge for himself. He still sees the same doctor. And here we are five years later, and he's lost 50 pounds. He swims every day. 
He loves his life. He has more energy than ever. He organic gardens. Like, I mean, he has completely transformed his life and he credits the data because it enabled him to start to see things differently. And it wasn't about him, right? Like the other doctor was making it about him. I don't know why it's not working, but it's, I'm telling you what you're doing isn't working. That's about Steve. Whereas with the data, it's like, well, hey, help me understand what's happening here because I'm seeing this in the data. Oh, I can change the data. Oh, now I understand it, right? Now it's about the data. That's That unlocks the power for Steve to help him better self-manage and completely change his perspective on his health. And that that's where I think this can have a real opportunity. We power with Kaiser Permanente, the largest remote care program in the country. So we're deployed across seven regions of Kaiser. There's been over 7,000 enrolling clinicians. Almost 400,000 people have been enrolled in programs across type 1, type 2, gestational diabetes, hypertension, gestational hypertension, heart failure, all kinds of hospital home programs, like dozens and dozens and dozens of programs across all these. And the key is not that the clinicians, that the nurses and the doctors are doing everything. It's actually the opposite. The key is that by engaging the patients in these programs, the patients learn to better self-manage their own condition. And they get better because they have the data and they know if they have questions, they can ping the clinical team and the clinical team has access to the same information. They're on the same page. The, in fact, the call times for patients enrolled in these programs drop from 15 minutes on average down to five and a half minutes on average for the clinicians. So you want to talk about like saving time. One of the heart failure programs saw that they were able to go from a, their clinical team was able to go from evaluating six patients an hour to evaluating 20 patients an hour for patients using Validic with, yeah, with the same, with, with actually improved clinical results. So they were able to get done in two hours. We used to take them a full day. And it's because there's better data at the point of care. They know what the conversation is going to be about. It's a faster conversation. They know who needs to be talked to and, you know, who's doing okay. And they can just move on. It takes out the whole step of fact finding. So it's actually, it's more effective and efficient for the clinical team, but it's partially because the patients have the information that they need to actually better self-manage their own care. That story, that in my mind is the promise of digital health, enabling somebody to take some incredible steps on that journey to better health and wellness. That's been the promise all along in my mind. So that's fantastic to hear. From here on out, what can you tell us a little bit about like where Validic's focusing for the next six to 12 months? Yeah, a big thing that we're focusing on is how can we help healthcare organizations better understand how people are doing in all aspects of their life, not just around specific disease states. So, you know, a lot of focus has been put on helping these data, helping to manage folks who have diabetes or hypertension or heart failure, COPD, on and on, which is really important, by the way. That is hugely important. The way I see things is that in a healthcare environment where people desperately want their information with their clinicians. Like they want to have that connection. And it's also a really, really increasingly competitive healthcare environment where healthcare organizations are competing for patients. They're competing to retain staff. They have to innovate how they actually engage with patients. I think that there's going to be more of an opportunity to give patients a way for them to simply upload any of the data that they're tracking as a patient engagement, as an attention, as a retention, as a loyalty opportunity to keep the healthy patients in the system and active and engaged. And that way, when there is an issue, when there is something going on, there's a predicate there for them to stay within that healthcare organization, right? And you think about opportunities like sleep clinics or weight management programs, 
GLP-1s, you know, folks who are just healthy and active like myself, you know, there's a lot of different data that people are capturing throughout many, many different ways in their lives. And I think providing that opportunity to connect that up with healthcare organizations is, is critical. And that, that's where we're putting a lot of our focus. What do you think that the near-term future looks like just for, for the industry in general? Do you think tech really can keep making it easier for consumers in the way that they're approaching their health and wellness? And, and what does that look like maybe for not just the industry, but for our society in a couple of years from now? Yeah, totally. I'm reminded of the quote that I think it was Bill Gates who said that we always overestimate what we can get done in three years, but underestimate what we get get done in 10. And <laughs> I think that healthcare is a really tough industry for everybody. It's, it's tough for people delivering care. It's tough for healthcare organizations running healthcare. It's tough for patients to participate in healthcare. It's really hard. And I think because of that, technology is slow to be adopted. But if we think about what technology should be. Like in healthcare, technology is hard. But if you think about what technology should be, technology should be easy. It should be invisible. Like if you think about fire as a technology, if fire had been really, really hard for us to use, right? Or if like a wheel would have it was made it more difficult for us to like transport things, it wouldn't gotten adopted, right? Like, like so been made things easier, made things better. Like that's what technology should be there for. And what I'm starting to see more in healthcare is opportunities where technology is starting to make things easier. So if we think about some of the technologies, they're not related to clinical care, but some of the technologies that are AI based solutions to automatically document patient clinic visits for providers so that the notes are already written into the flow sheet. That saves providers time. I've actually heard providers don't always love that because what's going to maybe happen is that the healthcare system is going to be like, hey, look, we just saved you all this time. So now you're going to see these five more patients, <laughs> which is not what providers are really looking for. But like that is a potential unintended consequence. You know, but I do think that that type of situation where, okay, we're taking something that is hard, that is a problem, and we're going to make it easier with the right technology, I think is going to be really key. And, you know, one of the things that now that we have consumer health devices and apps that are tracking things easy, making things easier for patients. I think just the simple act of getting the data integrated appropriately in the clinical workflow for care teams so that we can put patients and clinicians on the same team, that is an innovation that has that already exists that could revolutionize how care is delivered. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that over the next few years. We do not have more clinical teams to throw at the growing challenge of more patients need more care in healthcare. So I think we have to have more implementation of what's of the technology that's already in existence. Well, I love that. I feel like we're just getting going here, but for our episodes here, we like to wrap right about at this point, which makes me think we might have to have you back on again soon because I'd love to keep you know thinking about what that future state looks like. But in the meantime, it's been an absolute pleasure. And with that, that is a wrap for this episode. So I want to thank Drew Schiller from Validic for joining us and giving us so much to think about. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. I had a great time. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.